So, Kyle, you've listened to the Lead Balloon podcast before, where we talk about disasters in PR and marketing, even appeared on an episode way back. So let me ask you this. Has there ever been an episode of this show that was so inappropriate that you would not have listened to it with your kids in the car? I can't think that there is. No, no, there hasn't. We have been squeaky clean this entire time. Well, let me tell you, that is not going to be the case with today's episode. So, Kyle, can you do me a favor and read us the disclaimer, please? Due to the graphic and even obscene nature of the topic we're covering today, today's episode is rated R and may be inappropriate for young listeners and some professional environments. That was good. That was very nice. Thank you. (laughs) So if the kids are around, if you've got us on the speakers and your boss is uptight, this is your last chance to hit the pause button and come back later or slip those headphones on right now because, Kyle, you know what today's episode is about? Eating ass. Specifically, a series of tweets from the brand Twitter account of Pabst Blue Ribbon, long celebrated as the beer of choice for grandpas and hipsters. And these days, hipsters are starting to look like grandpas. And for a couple of years now, PBR social media feeds have been turning heads with some edgy, inappropriate, and sometimes just deliberately weird tweets and Instagram posts. And frankly, it was working pretty well for them. That is, until a few days into the new year, PBR used its platform to mock the dry January trend, which has been gaining attention recently, wherein some folks attempt to get a handle on their relationship with alcohol by going cold turkey during the coldest month of the year. And then, responding to the online backlash from this tactic, PBR lit the internet on fire when it tweeted out to its 100,000 followers, Not drinking this January? Try eating ass. The uproar was swift and loud. Social media got more riled up about this than just about any brand Twitter story since edgy brand Twitter became a thing. Every advertising and culture publication had at least an article on PBR's sudden embrace of analingus. And PBR deleted the tweets and apologized publicly, even as some writers blamed a rogue employee for the tweets. Well, that was not the case. The offending tweeter was actually an established social media manager by the name of Corey Smale, a creative enigma whose freewheeling, hands-on approach had really resonated with the brand's fans. The brand was quick because when it is that small, it is like being in a band. Everyone has their job. So what went wrong for PBR? What safeguards did they have in place? And who's really to blame for the ass-eating Twitter incident? On this episode, we're going to pick through the wreckage like forensic detectives and see what lessons we can extract with Kyle Brown, our go-to beer marketing correspondent, and with David Greiner, Adweek's international editor, who scored the exclusive interview with PBR's fired social media manager. And to me, affiliating rats with your product is a lot riskier than telling people to eat ass. I'm Dusty Weiss from PodCamp Media. This is Lead Balloon, a podcast about PR, marketing, and branding disasters and the well-meaning communications professionals who lived them. Thanks for tuning in. Please make sure you're following or subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. And check out PodCamp Media on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, or TikTok. Dealer's choice on that one. So Kyle Brown, you're a marketer, a strategist with experience at Harley-Davidson and Coles Corp, and an award-winning home brewer and beer enthusiast. So thank you for uh, joining us in this studio that you helped build not so long ago. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Uh, happy to have you. You and I have hoisted a PBR or two together on more than one occasion. Tell me, what kind of reputation does this beer have and, and who's their target demographic, would you say? Well, I, I think you called it out on the, it is a hipster 
that kind of a trend. And, and that's really what carried them through for a lot of the revival. You know, PBR is an American iconic brand. And I, I, I say that for two reasons. So I think one, if you take away the brand of PBR and you just put the beer itself in a glass to someone with no context to American culture and put it up against any other beer, it wouldn't stand out. Not not to the extent that it does. It wouldn't gain that following on its own. But Kyle, they won a blue ribbon. They won a blue ribbon 140 years ago and didn't take it to market until 120 years ago when that really blue ribbon stuck. It's a brilliant piece of marketing. In fact, some actually consider them a marketing company, not a beer company. The reason I say it's an American iconic brand, in 2010, they were pretty much out of business and they got bought out. Bought out by a company who buys American iconic brands. They joined the ranks of Twinkie and Bumblebee Tuna. They got bought because someone recognized the value and the cult following and you know the market potential of what PBR stands for and what they can do with it. I've actually engaged with some of their people way in the past in prior years. They kind of approached it as the anti-marketing marketing, you know, and, and that's their, their hipster, their kind of non-traditional standoffish, and, and they do a great job of it. Their idea is to attract from the ground up going out into these local bars, building it up. It, there's a reason you can go out to a bar today, at least in the Milwaukee area, and you can get a, a cigarette, a shot, a Jameson, and a PBR for $5. Oh, I've been to that bar. I've come home with 19 cigarettes, and you know that's <laughs> kind of my day. I throw them out for someone else. But I, I think it's something that you think about. There is this excitement, and this it's kind of rugged. It, it's like the you go out to a nice restaurant, and you're still like, no, I'm going to get a tall boy for $2.50. And that's kind of like a... It's like you're almost sticking it to the man in a way, even though that's not really what it is at all. Right. It's counterculture. It is counterculture. We don't buy into the marketing spin. We want things to be real. And that's where it kind of gets a little bit hazy because what what are you really rebelling against when you're drinking a PBR? Yeah. And I think anytime you're trying to be counter, anytime you're trying to be different or not to say revolutionary, but, you know, to make change and to, to shake things up, it's not easy. And you're you're going to miss sometimes. And I, I think maybe miss a little far on this one. So where was it that the wheels came off for PBR and social media manager Corey Smale? Well, right after New Year's 2022, the Twitter account turned its punchy irreverence on the dry January trend that was all over social media at the time. If you're not familiar, this is the health and well-being movement toward abstaining from alcohol throughout the entire month of January. It's not for everyone, but it is picking up steam. I saw a survey that said 13% of Americans plan to stay dry in January, up from 11% last year. And when it comes to people trying to set boundaries for their relationship with alcohol, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Good for them. Who could possibly take issue with that? Except PBR's Twitter account did just that, asking, why does January have to be dry? And going so far as to promote wet January with an absurdist piece of photoshopped art that featured dolphins and jet skis and, of course, some frosty, glistening cans of PBR. This, of course, rankled the small but vocal community of substance abuse recovery advocates on social media, who piled onto the brand in Twitter replies and think pieces, and eventually prompted Corey Smale to tweet out, Not drinking this January? Try eating ass. David Greiner is the international editor at Adweek and host of the podcast, Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. There's a directness to the tweet we're talking about of Paps Blue Ribbon literally saying to eat ass. It's not padded. It's not hidden behind anything. It's not a veiled reference. 
it puts things out there so directly that I think it just got everyone's attention. And I think for those who are aware of what the brand's been doing in recent years, it wasn't necessarily surprising. But for those who are not aware and think of it from their grandpa drinking PBR, it probably took them by surprise. (laughs) And I think there's a lot to that. And perhaps as we get a little bit deeper into this, this becomes one of the key, I guess, pieces of evidence here as far as who is to blame. But first, a couple weeks after the story broke, Corey Smale, the offending tweeter, he did out himself on social media. And he's this sort of mid-career brand manager from St. Louis, sort of a goofy, affable guy from what I've been able to glean about him. But I wanted to talk to you about this because you and I both reached out to him for a comment right away and you got the exclusive. So what were your impressions when you talked to him? Well, I've talked to Corey a few times in the past. What Pabst Blue Ribbon had been doing in recent years really got my attention well before this. And a lot of that was Corey's direct influence. Their social media had gotten really interesting. Just to give a quick example, I had a package show up in the mail once. It's just a brown box. It was filled with cans of the PBR hard coffee. And they weren't like well-organized. They were just thrown happenstance into this box. And then there was a little pig. And so I pull out the pig And it's a thumb drive. Like you take the head of the pig off and it's a thumb drive. So I posted a picture. I was like, should I put this in my computer? And everyone on the internet's like, absolutely not. (laughs) And so of course I put it in my computer and the file name, the name of the drive was do not open or do not play or something like that. And I opened it up and there's just a video file on it. And the video file was a new ad that they had made in partnership with a online video content creator for their hard coffee. And that was it. And I love that stuff. And it's not so much about me getting you know, cans of heart, which I I probably still have not drank. It's just the, that's fun. There's a weird Mr. Robot vibe to that, that I just, I really dug. And so I, I, I think he is a very different kind of marketer. He's a former entrepreneur. He's done a bunch of different stuff. He has never really fit in in the kind of corporate-y marketing world. But yeah, I was aware of him through things like that and was fascinated to have that conversation about this tweet. You know, you mentioned that it seems like he never really fit in in the world of marketing. And I think that's probably what made him so effective at what he did. I actually went back, I found another podcast appearance that he had done on a show that, of all things, is about ska punk music, if you're familiar with the genre. I love ska punk music, so I should dig it back up. I come from that scene myself back Back in the day. And so he appeared on a show called In Defense of Sky, and they were talking to him because he was the Twitter brand manager for Pabst Blue Ribbon and had been tweeting about old ska music. And at one point he said this on the podcast and it kind of cracked me up. Brands suck. I mean, it's not tight, you know? Yeah. But if you're going to market technically or whatever, like at least I think the best way to do it is just to be like, self-aware. And I think that even though sort of this attitude, this outsider mentality wound up costing him his job eventually, I think that there's a lot of wisdom in what he says there. Yeah. I mean, I think brand suck is the kind of thing I could easily picture. And I'm sure he has told me, you know, during our interview or at times, it's just that there's a lot of frustration, not just with Corey, among a lot of, you know, I say younger marketers, younger than me, but just this feeling that brands talk a big game about being polarizing, about being parts of the cultural conversation. And in the end, they're often cowardly, right? And they will pressure their marketing teams to really push the envelope. And then when you push it too hard, they'll come down on you. And, you know, obviously that ended up happening in this specific case, but I would say it happens every day on smaller battles, right? (laughs) Right. And so that frustration is one I think a lot of people feel, but most people have resigned themselves to it. Corey never resigned himself to it. You know, I think he fought the the good fight all the way up to the ass eating. 
Corey's work on social media had caught David's eye as well. Even in a brand Twitter ecosystem that's increasingly edgy and weird, David says PBR's Twitter account stood out as especially... Especially. There was a lot of mention of rats. And it takes a bold brand to really associate itself with rats. Their fans were calling themselves, you know, PBR rats. There was a lot of rat-centric content. And they had fans of this sort of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they were kind of this edgier young audience that likes it. It's cheap and it's not bad. And they are doing a lot. They're doing some really interesting stuff with their product line. Uh, They're licensing out their name to a THC line of drinks. They're not a sleepy old brand that needed to be edgy just to stay alive. I think it was a sincere part of their evolution as a brand and and finding new audiences. And so you had the rat stuff going on. You had just a lot of really goofy humor and sort of off the beaten path. I know Corey in that podcast interview that I referenced earlier talked about getting very heavily into finger skateboarding, fingerboarding. Fingerboarding, yeah. As a thing that they just went all in on. At the end of the day, it was stuff that got him excited, and that's what made it authentic. And their audience got excited about it, too. Yeah, I'll say the coolest people I follow, and again, I'm a middle-aged, boring suburban dad, so this is, it's a low bar to be a cool person I follow. But, like, the young people that I really look to as cultural barometers of marketing of just where this industry is headed and should be headed... They loved what Pabst was doing these past few years. They loved seeing brands being unapologetic about reaching out to new audiences and embracing those audiences and having fun with it. Now, you know, it's a separate conversation of whether it went too far in the end. But up until then and to this day, I think he remains a a folk hero. And if you look at any post that Pabst makes on social now, you're inevitably going to find the top comments or bring back the ass guy. Well, let's unpack this a little bit then. How he, in the course of tiptoeing along the edge all these years, finally slipped over it. And Corey said a few things in your Q&A after this all happened that really surprised me. But the most prominent and surprising to me was his repeated refusal to cast any blame whatsoever on PBR, the company. He threw himself fully upon the sword here, even as he has on his social media, sort of cautiously embraced the folk hero worship that he's gotten from users who are still celebrating the eating ass tweet. Did that surprise you? Well, I don't know if it surprised me. I certainly went into that conversation having no idea uh, whether he was going to feel a victim, whether he would feel thrown under the bus. And in the end, it was very much the opposite of that. I think he showed a lot of personal ownership. The response to that interview was interesting because some people felt that it was like he was reading a pre-recorded statement with a gun held to his head or that this was part of some negotiation. I certainly don't in any way think that's the case. I think it was incredibly sincere. I think he spoke from his heart and I think he still has tremendous warmth and good feeling for the folks he worked with and takes personal accountability for the tweet that he wrote and the fact that it had, and this is something that not enough people talk about it, and I'm sure I've been guilty of this too, is that I used to run social media accounts for a living for major brands and for small brands. And the reality is every time you do something that's edgy or or risky, it has an impact on everybody. And Corey in in his interview with me mentioned there's people in accounting who love working for Paps Blue Ribbon. And so when it's embarrassing, when they're suddenly put in an embarrassing position, they're the ones who have a hard time. They have to go home and answer those questions. Marketing is one thing, but when you're a distributor, when you work, you know, and everyone's going to be giving you a hard time about something you don't agree with or you don't support, I think that's what really hit him after the fact that comes across in that conversation. And I think it was sincere. I think it was definitely a sobering moment for him. No pun intended there. 
<laughs> but there was another exchange that kind of raised my eyebrows too, where you asked him about the comment himself and he said, I didn't really tweet from a brand account about eating ass, but I did tweet from Pabst Blue Ribbon and it said eating ass. And in that sort of way, he's still owning it, but I thought it was just sort of an odd distinction to make. What do you think he was driving at there? I think that he was trying to make just the basic point that he was not literally telling anybody to commit a sex act involving ass. Like, I think there are certain people who do take things like that quite literally. Are there? You think there was somebody that looked at PBR's Twitter account and said they told me to commit a sex act. Well, not so much in the like, I took it as direction so much as there are certain people who don't move in the worlds of internet language, right? Who don't know that these kinds of jokes are incredibly commonplace. I have friends who make these jokes, again, slightly younger than me, but like this would not be off color commentary. You may not say it in an open Zoom in a workplace, but like it's a pretty common joke to reference in the way that someone, you know, we would make jokes about orgies, right? And no one's going to take it literally that you're saying, go have an orgy this weekend. And so I think he was just trying to make the point that I don't know if he succeeded in this. I don't know if I'm succeeding in trying to draw that distinction. But, you know, in that interview, I just asked him, do you mean just metaphorically eating ass? And he said, yeah. And I think that it is open to interpretation. Since he kind of outed himself as the person behind that tweet and has embraced it, but I would say not in a way that feels overly gross. I think some people, as we all know, as we see constantly, people either get canceled or they do something really deplorable and then they lean into it, right? They're like, well, okay, if I'm a fascist now, then I'm going to go full fascist. And in this case, it's someone who committed what I would call a victimless crime with a small asterisk there. He didn't tweet anything terrible about other people. And so to me, even when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's fine. But it doesn't really hurt anybody. I think where he crossed a line or or whoever was tweeting it was in the replies and the follow ups because people expressed disagreement or whatever, you know, raised some flags in the replies. And he, you know, the account shot back at them things like, why don't you ask your mom what eating ass is or things like that. That took it to a different place and makes it more negative. You know, we didn't talk about that specifically, but I'm guessing he would probably agree with that, that that's a different tone. And it just made it feel less light and less defensible for people like me. It's like, talk about eating ass all you want on a brand account. I'm never going to complain. The next day, I think it was the next day, the Grinder gay dating app literally tweeted the exact same tweet. The joke being that when they do it, no one's going to bat an eye. And since then, I think we've seen several tweets where I have a hard time picturing that these tweets would have happened had that moment not occurred. Certainly. Well, And I think there's something to it, too, where I think he's probably at a place where he doesn't want to be branded forever as the eating ass PBR guy. Like he wants to have a career beyond eating ass. And it's funny, I actually just recently talked to Amy Brown, who was running the Wendy's Twitter account when they famously blew up the Internet by clapping back at someone who was complaining about their burgers. And this was something that she said to me, too, where she's like, yeah, I've had to go out of my way in job interviews to demonstrate to people that I don't just do snarky Twitter. I have an entire marketing skill set. Is that something that you think he'll be able to escape as he's moving forward in his career here? I think so. I mean, I I think it will be his 15 minutes, at least for a while, in terms of what he is known, you know, at least via Google for. There's worse things to be known for. And again, he's walked this pretty commendable line of owning up to it without necessarily apologizing or going like, I'm your guy. 
you want nothing but ass content, come to me. He's found an interesting thread in between that leans into more, this is part of who you will get with me is someone who really wants to push the envelope, but who also learned a lesson here. And, you know, I will always continue to be there, but I'm probably going to be better about building consensus. So he and I didn't talk so much about asking permission or asking forgiveness so much as just building consensus. And that's what I think he's very direct that he feels he did not do enough of beyond a very small team at Pabst. Well, and that raises a really interesting point here, because when you asked him in your Q&A about the process behind the Twitter account, whether the tweets had to be approved, what sort of oversight there was, he told you he didn't really want to get into it. Was that just him, again, trying to sort of avert that blame onto himself? What do you think that process was? It's hard to say. I mean, I I wasn't per se uh, surprised that he didn't want to go into that because I do think you start pointing blame at other people at that point, right? And if you've decided to really take ownership of it, that's probably the last thing you want to do is to say, well, hey, I got sign off. On a personal level, like if I got fired after getting sign off on something, I would have a hard time not saying that. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. <laughs> but um, but I do understand that it positions you publicly in a different and I would argue worse way to be the kind of person who's out there saying, well, yeah, I did this bold thing, but I'm not the only one. You know, you might as well at that point just be the folk hero. And who knows, it may have been part of how they parted ways too. You know, there may have been some agreement on the way out the door. I'm reading between the lines, but I think there's a few motivations and there's really no good reason to delve into that stuff. So I wasn't particularly surprised. David says there's no good reason to delve into it, but I'll add the contextual if you're Adweek's international editor. If you're the host of a show where branding disasters are your bread and butter, well, we're going to delve. Did you ever send a tweet where you got a, a meeting and they said, please don't do this? No. No? It's all good. <laughs> delve into the evidence on record to see who bears the blame, if there's even any blame to bear, and how that blame eventually got portioned out. I heard a lot of people use the phrase rogue employee at the time. I think the image that that probably conveys is not is not accurate at all. And that's coming up in a moment here on Lead Balloon. This is Lead Balloon, and I'm Dusty Weiss. Corey Smale ran PBR's social media accounts with the implicit goal of connecting with followers by tiptoeing right up to the line, until he slipped across that line by tweeting for followers to try eating ass and was promptly fired. But if you listen back to the interview that he gave in the In Defense of Ska podcast just before the ass-eating incident, it's clear that his freewheeling style and unapologetic authenticity were an established practice under his tenure at Pabst. We don't have no more agencies. We got rid of them. We just run the brand sort of like a merch table where it's like three or four of us and here's our shit. And then that allows us just transparency and then self-awareness to like build the brand like I said, on like a few different scenes where it's like, we're really in them, you know? Yeah. And that's cool. We'll start, we'll, we'll go from there. David Greiner, the international editor at Adweek, who talked to Corey the week after he was fired, says that's not necessarily a bad approach. I mean, I can speak broadly from how accounts are often run. 
again, having been involved, I ran brand accounts uh, at an agency in the early days of social, but still, and I still have a lot of contacts throughout that industry now of social media. Not many are like Corey. Uh, Very few are as unfiltered as the PBR account is, but my hunch is that he had a lot of autonomy. And I think brands that give autonomy to their social managers to move in real time, to move quickly, to have fun and with a few guardrails. I think they tend to do the best versus the ones, you know, the saddest ones are the ones who wait 72 hours to reply to a a meme that's blowing up. And you're just like, oh, legal finally signed off on that, huh? (laughs) And so, like, the correct answer is probably somewhere in between having rapid response legal, having rapid response management teams that understand why these things have to move so quickly. But I'm not surprised when I find that places seem to give autonomy to social managers, probably under a few specific things like, hey, don't mention binge drinking. But other than that. Like, again, I've worked in several regulated industries where they're like, just do not mention product benefits and you'll be fine. You can say whatever else. So, right. I do. I get the sense that this situation was very much like that, except I don't think that they gave him that many guardrails. In fact, I'll, I'll pull up exhibit B here from the In Defense of Ska podcast when they asked about that. This one runs kind of long, but I think it's really, really telling. They ask him about the process. I'm really fascinated by the current state of uh, social media marketing by companies because let's go. I feel like even the most, you know, like Burger King or somebody, it's like the most insane tweets or whatever. And it's like, yeah. what's, what is going on in this world? So they still can't say fuck though. They, but you they can't put right? the asterisk. Yeah. <laughs> You're damn right. <laughs> so do you have like, look, let us be wild here. Let us be free. And they're like, okay. Yeah. Just tell me a little about the, the behind the scenes conversation. What is, what is the, we're free. You, do they just say like, go, you, you know what to do or do they give you any parameters? Or? Mm, no. I mean, at first it was like, this is what? But then, I don't know. And also some people came and some people went. And in that time, and uh, I don't know, then things were like, oh, okay. And then, like, we just started, like, having, you know, some numbers to, like, look at. And, like, statistically speaking, it was going good and continues to go good. So we're like, well, we'll just do more of this. And then at a certain point, I was like, people stopped checking in on it. So it's just is what it is now. Just no limit soldier. Fighting butts, no limit. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever send a tweet where you got a, a meeting and they said, please don't do this? No. No? It's all good. <laughs> sometimes I do copyright. Oh, I mean, I'll be doing copyright stuff sometimes. And JB, our lawyer, he's so cool. He's like, bro, you got to take it down. He's like, you can't have Lunchables on there and cigarettes. <laughs> like, other than that, though, no, not really. No, we're good. People stopped checking in on it. There you go. And so when you hear a clip like that, I don't know about you, but I find it almost impossible to say, okay, well, the brand is completely faultless here. This was just an employee gone rogue who accidentally tiptoed over the line when it sounds pretty clear from that that there were no lines ever dictated. They gave him carte blanche and said, go wild, be free. Yeah, I heard a lot of people use the phrase rogue employee at the time. I think the image that that probably conveys is not is not accurate at all. And I, I think we've all seen that that's the case. He was not a rogue employee. It, that implies like you were like, I'm going to really damage my employer. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. get him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to subvert uh, and commit this suicide from within. 
that's not what happened. It was in line. And this is where early on, again, I was maybe slow to the realization of how serious it was going to be. Just, well, I don't know about serious, but you know, how consequential it was going to be. Because I was like, yeah, they tweet. I mean, they post stuff all the time. And it's wild. And to me, affiliating rats with your product is a lot riskier than telling people to eat ass. Like, maybe not medically. They're probably one-to-one. But Probably like, about the same risk of disease yeah. there. Yeah. Okay. But like, you know, what I mean is like, I was, again, as someone who's worked on the marketing side, who's seen what truly concerns brands. And the reality is there's two things. One is anything that creates doubt about the safety and the purity or whatever you want to call it of product. That's something you tend to avoid. And they had some fun walking that line, right? And then the other one is decency, which is a much more vague thing. And that's where they clearly, even for Pabst, hit a wall. But yeah, I I definitely don't think he was a rogue employee. I think he had very, very wide parameters and had had a pretty great track record of engaging this widening community, I think probably just lost sight of the fact that Pabst as a mainstream brand has a pretty diverse audience out there and some of them are are still going to get upset. Is it fair, do you think, for Corey to be the only one who takes the fall here? I don't know what's fair. I think he'll be fine. I think he'll have a, a strong career. I think if I felt this was career ending, then I might have some opinions on that. But really, to me, I'm just like, you know, it probably was largely him. I get a lot of autonomy in my job, and I can certainly imagine that I could take that too far one day. And my, that puts my bosses in a really tough spot of should they have kept a tighter grip on me that whole time? I don't know. Uh, like for now, I really appreciate it. But when you do an episode on my collapse later, uh, we'll revisit it. As long as you're willing to go on record with me at that point, that'll, <laughs> that'll be just fine. No promises. I may be in a bunker somewhere. Right, right. What about PBR here? I mean, are there any long-term implications for the brand here, or are they going to be just fine? I think they move on from this pretty quick, right? They'll be fine. I think the Twitter is always a very small bubble. And I think it's understandable to freak out over things that happen on Twitter, but it's such an insignificant little piece. It did generate headlines. But also Twitter never forgets. You yourself mentioned that people are calling for the ass tweeter to be brought back. That's where I think, yeah, it's my long term. Well, I mean, I don't know about long term, midterm consequence here for the brand is that it derailed their ability to commit on a certain level of earnestness into the wild side. I know it's weird to say earnestly wild, but like they lost that crowd's love and support that Corey generated. Probably not a gigantic aspect of their overall drinking audience, but you know, it's going to make their posts look weird for quite a while because people are going to keep referencing the ass guy. And so, you know, they'll get past that. We're in like this weird third era of Paps. There will be a fourth era. There will probably be 17 eras. And so they'll be all right. As long as they're still supporting the ska scene, I'm here for it. Seeing how this story played out here in 2022. Do you think that an edgy Twitter account is still something to which any brand should aspire or is this a cautionary tale? It's a cautionary tale in the sense that it showed brand managers or whoever, social managers, that they need to have consensus, that they need to make sure that they are not being left out there on their own, which again can feel empowering, but can also get pulled out from under you very quickly. I think just since then, we've had several instances of brands really pushing the envelope. I mean, Adidas just tweeted 25 pairs of bare breasts from their account and then promoted it as a paid ad. I mean, it was polarizing. I really liked it as a great point about diversity of body type, a lot more impactful than just showing people wearing bras. But, you know, those kinds of moments, I think 
build on each other. I doubt anyone involved with that tweet's like, thank God that ass-eating tweet went out so that we can justify this. It's a very different thing, but they build on each other, right? And you've got brands being willing to try a little harder each time, knowing where the line is and, and still towing it as much as they can. When you look at this story here, you know, we mentioned it as a cautionary tale. What lessons should a young brand marketer take away from this as they're, I don't know if they're looking to follow in Corey's footsteps, but looking to succeed and thrive in that space? It's always been a challenge to be the kind of marketer, social manager, whatever, who is trying to push those limits. And those people are incredibly important. Not every brand needs them, of course, but you know, some do. And I think that's an incredible role. It takes a lot of bravery and a lot of boldness. But these kinds of incidents end up hurting those folks in ways while also helping them. It codifies this conversation. It's no longer a hypothetical. <laughs> like, what would happen if a major brand tweeted about eating ass? Well, now we know what happens and we know the consequences and we know how that news cycle will go. It's much harder when a client says, well, has anyone done this? What's going to happen? What can we do? And so I, I think they will probably take away from this. I need to have enough consensus to not get hung out to dry if this doesn't go poorly. And, and I used to be an ask forgiveness, not permission kind of person. I've changed in the sense that much like Corey, as I've gotten older, I've realized that that hurts people unintentionally. You create collateral damage where other people are embarrassed by a decision you made where you were like... I'm going to just do what I think we should do. As an example, Adweek, I think kind of like one of the quotes you played earlier, we don't asterisk obscenities. You know, if we need to say fucking a headline, we say fucking a headline. It's rare. It's not like we do it for shock value, but we do it for accuracy. And when a brand says something like we can't be more limited in our language than our own audiences, because then you just look like you, you look know. like somebody's grandma. Yeah. And so, you know, while I think a lot of people might say decency and let's not, we're marketers. It's a foul mouthed business and we can't be any more restrictive in our own language than other marketers. That said, I don't want to put fucking a headline and not run it by other people, especially like the writer or, you know, I always make sure everyone's on board with that. It's like, hey, we're doing this. It might get some pushback. It almost certainly will. And then so far, I've never had someone say, no, don't. But it's one of those things where I would feel bad if I put it out there. And then someone was like, I can't believe you did that. And they didn't know it had even been done. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> a lot of people probably found out about the ass eating tweet, not from Corey or anyone. Uh, they probably found out about it from other people online. So as David points out, Corey Smale was willing to fall on the sword for PBR over the ass eating tweet. But did he have to? Did anyone have to? Kyle Brown, our beer marketing correspondent, went back and listened to another clip from the In Defense of Ska podcast with me, particularly listening to Corey Smale talk about his job title, his team, and how they had been tasked with doing their work. And when you listen to Corey here, I think it's pretty obvious that nobody who worked with him could say they didn't know what he was up to. Are you the head of marketing? No. No? Okay, so you're the head of social. What is your title anyways? I'm the brand manager of creative and communication. Okay, so Pat's Cooler Ribbon marketing team, four people, my boss, head of marketing, me, all everything that you see or hear or look at from PBR. Rachel, all the product, everything you drink from PBR. Seamus, everything culture, all the merchandise, everything you wear or experience in real life from PBR. That's it. Got it, okay. We oh, had an agency. We had a couple of them, big ones, expensive ones. We don't have them anymore. We used to be working with our friends. 
and uh, going pretty good. When did you what? dump the agency? This year. This year? Okay. <laughs> and then we, and I, and then we, yeah. And that wasn't that long ago. And then we just been doing one-offs. I, I, I'm not speaking disparagingly. I, I, I don't mean to present it like that. We basically would just do like one-offs at this point, though. You know, like the brand just moves it like it, it moves quick because when it is that small, it is like being in a band where like everyone has their job. You know what I mean? Because it's small and nimble and shit, it just requires that level of care, even from like an agency or a creative partner or whatever, you know? Yeah. It's like, we're ready to like grind. It's like being in a band, he says. Everybody's got their job and they just grind. So, Kyle, hearing what we've heard from David Griner at Ad Week, just now from Corey Smale himself, what do you make of the approach that they employed at PBR toward marketing? Does this sound like an operation that you would want to be a part of? Yeah, in a lot of ways. I mean, the the freedom, the creativity, the just go out and and make it happen. I think you know, there, there's a lot to be said about having just a small autonomous team. That's creative expression and freedom at its prime. A hundred percent. You tell old stories about your dad when he was a marketer and in the early days, not the early days, the middling days of Harley Davidson and just sort of some of the creative random things that they got to do there. It almost, it seems like a really similar setup. Yeah. I mean, you know, for them, it was relatively small. Well, very small compared to what they are now. And they said, Hey, we got to do a photo shoot. So someone grabbed a camera and they went out on a photo shoot. You know, they actually filmed an entire year's catalog riding around the office with backdrops of like the lake and a bridge and Miller Brewing. They just drove into the lot behind trucks. You know, it's fun, you know, and and constraint and um, limitations. That is what sparks creativity. Blank slate, a billion dollars. Yeah, sure. You're going to go make some ad. But, you know, you put those constraints in there and and that's when the creative happens. And I think for a lot of marketers, especially the ones who are you know, more focused on the creative side. They love those moments when they pull something together, you know, on a shoestring budget, guerrilla marketing. It's fun to be the little guy sometimes. You get to punch above your weight and there's not a lot of people who are going to hold you, your feet to the fire, it, you know, unless you start tweeting about eating ass. <laughs> well, and, and that brings us to, I think, the the jury verdict moment in this story. David kind of arrived at the conclusion that PBR took the right approach to managing its social media manager, and and I think I agree with him. I think that you have to be able to give your people the freedom to do what they need to do. You have to be able to give them that level of trust. But then Corey slipped over a line, and the blame is mostly on him. Do you agree with that? No, I don't. If you're allowed to drop an F-bomb on your social media, but, oh, eating ass, that's the line you crossed. I don't buy it. I, you know... They're playing with comedy. They're they're playing with with kind of poking the bear. That's risky. Comedians fail all the time. It's the only reason they go on tours to test and, and really work on that material. They fail a lot. So to expect that without accepting there's going to be some misses and some failure, that's not fair. You don't fire your broker every time one of your stocks drops 10 points. It's just part of the game. It's an accepted calculated risk. It's not like the executives and the people overseeing this have been looking at their Twitter and social account for the last five years and going, totally safe, not an ounce of risk. They knew what they were doing. And I I feel like this is a scapegoat. I feel like this is them trying to just clean their hands, walk away from it, and not take accountability. I think they could have turned it around. I think they could have just said, wow, we really screwed up. It wasn't the worst thing 
it didn't make sense to me. I didn't get it. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's like you're at a party with your group of friends or maybe in the office and you say a joke that in your head makes sense, but there's like four dots you didn't connect for everybody else. It's like, oh yeah, that wasn't funny. My bad. Moving on. Moving on. Moving on. Next joke. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's a tweet. I don't think the guy needed to be fired over it. I think maybe you call him into the lawyer's office, you give him a little wag of the finger and you say, hey man, we really like what you've done for the most part. This one thing, eh, kind of too far. Now, we don't know what kind of politics were going on in the back office. Maybe he had been rubbing people the wrong way for a long time, and this was just the inciting incident that allowed them to finally drop the axe on him. But I get the sense that they just felt, because of their shareholders, because of an executive, because of somebody out there, that there had to be a sacrificial lamb, that somebody had to get fired here, and I think he was just the guy. I think I think Corey Smale got hung out to dry on this one. I really do. Yeah, I think so. This guy made a dumb joke. And by dumb, I mean, it just wasn't funny. And he, he lost his job for it. I, I get from a company, they're trying, to, they're trying to wipe their hands, get clean of it. Deleting a tweet is a pretty good way to say you're guilty. <laughs> I would have led into it. Like, fall on the sword and have fun with it. Right. Look at the last five years. Look at the last year. How many stupid things have been said on Twitter? And I can't remember any of them. Right. The, the ecosystem recycles Ta- Some so other idiot quickly. is going to say right. something, you know? You just have to ride it out until that happens. Absolutely. You know, I make the argument that if you engage in edgy brand Twitter, that you can be 99.9% accurate and 99.9% of your jokes land on the right side of the line. But if you really are trying to tiptoe right up to that line, eventually there is going to come a moment when you slip over that line. And so I think that the onus is on managers, is on executives, is on the people who make the strategic calls to decide, well, do we really want to engage in edgy brand Twitter? Because if we do, we will eventually, one way or the other, slip over the line a little bit. And so I would posit that it is an act of cowardice to fire the guy who's got his fingers on the tweeter. For that, I would say it also sends a very risky message to everyone else within that. I mean, I guess the other three people, as we heard, <laughs> that still work in marketing there. But but just in general, you know, failure cannot be labeled as just bad. I mean, yeah, you don't want to fail, but if you're not failing, you're not trying, and you're certain certainly for a brand that's trying to be edgy, you're gonna have to make a few mistakes along the way. PBR is creating a culture where you make a mistake and you're fired. And I get the level of it. Like if you're in accounting and you make a mistake, no one knows about it. It's just an internal thing that happens. But but that's not healthy. That's not going to help them grow as a company. It's not going to help them retain the people they need. I really wonder if, if this impacted their sales at all. I am almost certain that this did little to impact their sales. And after Corey was sacrificed on the altar, that their shareholders probably were just fine with it too. I I highly doubt that there are long-term repercussions for PBR as a brand here. Yeah, I'll admit, I probably haven't Googled PBR more in my life than in the last two months. (laughs) So, you know. That's a W. That's a W for where I'm sitting. You got me. There we go. You won. Well, Kyle Brown, marketer, strategist, 
Lead Balloons beer marketing correspondent. Thank you for joining us once again and lending us your expertise in this studio that you helped build with your bare, burly, hairy, masculine arms, which, by the way, looks great. Man. Thank you, sir. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for uh, showing up and, uh, and doing some carpentry with us. Happy to summer. be here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cheers. Cheers, man. Thanks. That is going to do it for this episode of Lead Balloon. Thanks as well to David Greiner, international editor of Adweek, the industry-leading publication which, as you may recall, named us as Marketing Podcast of the Year in 2020. And yes, I'm still beating that drum. We've got a new thing that we're trying here on Lead Balloon called the Comms Gripes Line. We've all got pet peeves in this business. I, for one, can't stand how often people misuse the word utilize when what they clearly mean is use. And so, if you've got a gripe, Hit the link in the show description and let her fly, just like Ben did. I can't stand when a brand, either through marketing a product or marketing the brand, puts how I should feel or how the brand represents an emotion in the title. Great example is Quality Inn Hotels. Don't tell me it's a quality hotel by the name. Tell me it's a quality hotel by how you treat me, how you show up, and the customer experience that you create. You should not have to tell me how to feel in your brand name. Save that for how you deliver your product. Ben, demonstrating perfectly there what I've long referred to as the Yummy Buffet axiom. Yummy Buffet, a Chinese place on campus at the University of Wisconsin, back when I was a student, which could more accurately have been described as the Salmonella Sampler. Actually, hold on a second. Okay, yep, a uh, cursory Google search shows me that Yummy Buffet is probably no longer in business with their 1.3 stars on Yelp, and my likelihood of getting sued seems pretty low, so I'm going to leave that last bit in. So thank you, Ben, for your gripe, and to you, dear listener, I'd love to hear from you on the comms gripe line. Hit the link in the show notes and leave me a voice message. Lead Balloon is produced by PodCamp Media, where we provide branded podcast production solutions for businesses. Our new podcast studios are located in the heart of beautiful downtown Milwaukee, Wisconsin, home of Pabst Blue Ribbon originally. But we work with brands all over North America. Check out our website, podcampmedia.com. Larry Kilgore III on some segment editing for this episode. Please follow or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app if you haven't already. And check out PodCamp Media on the social platform of your choice. Until the next time, folks, thanks for listening. I'm Dusty Weiss.